Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Happy weekend. Welcome to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Look, football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL, it's in the full swing right now, and right around the corner is baseball. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at BetOnline.ag. Don't like sports? No big deal. They even cover awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They got hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And don't forget about that 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% off your welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right, only at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, it's All-Star Weekend. It's time to kick back. It's time to talk about some hoops. The first half is over. The second half is about to begun. So it is time. I'm so excited. We're going to have a great time. I'm bringing back my hoops honchos right now. First, we're bringing on to the pod the ambassador of the slam dunk contest, Mike Choi. Hello, Mike. Joey, hey, how are you doing? I have my latest Zenny glasses on. Zenny Optical, sponsors of the Chicago Bulls. So I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> nationwide is on your side and also coming up on the pod right now he's here to break down the keys of how cristiano felicio is going to take his game to the next level in the second half it's aaron hagel hey hags hey what up joy what up joy i'm wearing a pair of uh, uh knockoff glasses these are called hennies <laughs> these are beautiful <laughs> we've got some we've got some rims we've got some rims on the lids today we're feeling good about ourselves the bulls First half, hey, 16 and 18, tied for the eighth seed. They're a half game in front of the Indiana uh, Indiana Pacers. They're tied with the Toronto Raptors and a half game just behind the seventh seed Charlotte Hornets. 16 and 18 walking into this All-Star weekend. Let's just start kind of here. Hags, you're going to go first, my friend. Just your take on the Bulls' first half performance. Initial thoughts are that they are exceeding expectations, but not by a lot. They're not like blowing me out of the water. I know we did this pod before the beginning of the season. We talked about their really tough uh, schedule, especially like that first month. And their record kind of reflected that, right? They didn't have a whole lot of wins, uh, some bad losses, a couple of good wins here and there. But in the past, I don't know, month or so, they really kind of started clicking, although not to where they need to be. I watched that Pelicans game the other day in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, Kobe and Zach both had really dumb fouls on a three-point shot that they weren't – they shouldn't have been anywhere near those players. And we've had some fourth-quarter late-game meltdowns here and there. Uh, but I think ultimately those are learning learning things, right? I mean, Kobe's super young. Even though Zach's now an all-star, he's still kind of young. So those are the things I think Billy is, you know, going to really help them rein in uh, because we are first in the league with turnovers – per game, which is not good. No one's knocking us off, off that perch, baby. It's not, no, not yet. Hopefully we'll get down to uh second worst in the league at some point, but uh, overall, yeah, very happy. Uh, we're not there yet, but definitely heading in the right direction. Mike, if you could walk up to a Bulls fan right now and they hadn't watched a single game this season, how would you describe the first half for the Chicago Bulls? Uh, well, before I answer that, Joey, I think we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the uh, recent retirement of Joakim Noah, who oh, recently Joe. retired. And uh, I mean, I just want to just want to throw out to Joakim, man, you know, two time all star, two time all defensive team player, 2014 defensive player of the year. I mean, this guy was the heart and soul of those, you know, Derrick Rose teams. And uh, yeah, man, he's he's going to be missing. Hopefully I know that uh, Arturis wants to uh, and Noah wants to retire as a Bulls. 
uh, retire as a bull. So hopefully that happens soon. I know they haven't made an announcement on that as of yet, but, uh, and if I can interject forward. on Joe Kim real yeah. quick, I, I think he also won best hair in the Chicago superlatives pod that we did six or seven <laughs> months ago. So also yeah. the awards continue to stack up. for him. Yeah. 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 And then, and then real, real quickly, real quickly, I'm sorry to derail the pod, but, and I know this is a basketball pod, but also quick shout out to Brent Seabrook who just announced his retirement today, you know, phenomenal career with the Blackhawks and, uh, he'll be missed as well, but back to the bulls, um, you know what's surprising? I'm looking at the uh, at, at at the win loss record. If you can believe it, they've only at at the same point this year as opposed to last year. They've only won three more games than last year's abysmal team. So that was actually really surprising to me that they're actually really not that much better off record wise than they were last year. But with that being said, in you know again like you know we were kind of referencing our our preseason pod. You know I wasn't really expecting them to make a big jump in terms of wins. Uh, but what I wanted to see was kind of this cohesion as a team, as an organization, as as a team that uh, should be taken seriously. And I really do think we see that component of it. You know, I think we see the solid leadership now of Billy Donovan. We see a competent front office so far led by Arturis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's those things that I do see the improvement as. You know, there's this overall sense of competitiveness. As Haig says, you know, the turnovers are horrible still. And, you know, that's something that definitely needs to be improved, which will then improve, you know, the gameplay. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me personally, we are kind of where we, where I thought we'd be kind of still sub 500, but, but finally, you know, th there's kind of that light at the end of the tunnel. You kind of see where, Hey, we can potentially if things gel and continue to go in the right direction, we can make that jump into a 500 team, a 500 plus team. I think I've watched more bulls games this season than I have probably the last two combined. And I think that's a tribute to them being a really entertaining basketball team. They are a top five offense scoring wise, a lot of different metrics, but you guys are nailing it. Turnovers and defense. It's brutal. And as we mentioned, there's been some nights where you're like, they're up by 16, 17 points. You're like, Oh, you know what? We're going to get a nice solid win here. We might actually win going away. No, no, no. By that fourth quarter rolls around six, five minutes to go. That thing's whittled down to seven or eight. And Hags, as you mentioned, man, they are the king of, of taking a six or seven point lead with even like a minute left to play and making that silly foul, you know, across the three point line, giving the team that chance where they just have possessions now where these fourth quarters, everyone's burning their timeouts. It's taken absolutely forever. Let's kind of drill in on that fourth quarter for a little bit in terms of what you see kind of from them on the court. And look, we're just trying to take stock of where they are right now, where they need to go. In your opinion, is that, a, is that come down to execution, talent, or lack thereof, or a combination of both? Uh, it's a combination. You know, like, like I was saying earlier, Kobe is, what, 21, I think? He's still really young. He's just started learning the point guard position. And he's been in, and his stats show it. He's up and down. He's had two 2010 games, I think, recently, which is like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. But then he'll disappear some games and have seven, eight points and have five turnovers. You're like, what's going on here? But I think that's kind of part of the deal, right? He's young. He's learned the position. It's going to be up and down. Um, but like, you know, like I was saying earlier too with like Zach, kind of figure, he, he started figuring that stuff out, like just doing dumb shit in the fourth quarter. It's just like, dude, you got to be smarter than that, man. But I will say, it seems like every time I read something about the players talking about this year compared to last year, every single guy is going, wow, this is a totally different just mindset. Last year we're down, guys are like, oh, well, that's it. And now they're fighting back, you know? 
maybe conversely, they're up, like you said, as well, I'm losing some of those games. But um, it's just a different mindset when you have somebody in there who knows what he's doing and the players trust him and they also respect him. Um, but going back to the late fourth quarter stuff, it's, it's, that's just experience. And Billy the other day, you know, Stacey King's going, what are you guys doing? Billy Donovan's going, what are you guys doing? So he, he knows what's up. He knows how to do it. He's just trying to instill it in the guys, and it's going to take a little time. Yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve. You know, as you you mentioned, it's a great point. There are only three more wins than they had under Jim Boylan last year, but we are talking about this team in a completely different way. They haven't had a lot of games where they're down 25, 30 points in the second quarter, or, you know, they haven't had those blowout losses. They haven't had the blowout wins either. Everything seems to come down to the final shot. But just kind of talk about a little bit of that combina- combination of what they need to do moving forward in the second half, execution-wise, and maybe it's, I'd maybe give the slight edge over to execution because I still think the talent level isn't quite where it needs to be. Even those veterans like Garrett Temple and those late fourth quarter situations. I love Garrett Temple this season. He still makes kind of dumb mistakes. They all kind of do a little bit. Just kind of talk about moving into that second half, you know, what this team really kind of needs to do to maybe tighten it up and maybe try and get incrementally a little bit better. I think we have to start with talking about Zach Levine, in my opinion. I was a big Zach Doubter. I was a big Zach Doubter, and he has really proven to me that he's made that next jump into kind of like all-star status. Now, the question is, does he have one more jump left in him to become a star in this league, right? But I think, you know, no doubt about it, he is he is all-star caliber now. I mean, just from points standpoint, what is he, like at 28 points a game or so, roughly thereabout, but he's top 10 in the league in scoring. And if I can ask you real quick, Joy, when you say take that next step, for you personally, like, what do you feel like that looks like? Is there a part of his game that you would really like to see him improve upon to take that next level? It, uh, Aaron kind of alluded to it previously where it's kind of like it, it's it's one the mindset right that I am a star I am kind of like I can carry this team not necessarily by stats but just this mentality right like all the all the guys whether it's Jordan LeBron whomever they they have this mentality that I am going to will our team to win so it's that development of that mentality but then like Aaron was saying too man just not cutting down on the stupid mistakes cutting down on kind of like the the bad shot selection and such and then the thing that we forget is I feel like Zach Levine's been in the league for like 10 years, right? But he's only 25. So he's actually really young. So he does have the ability to take that next leap. Now, the question is, will he? Um, The other thing that I think in this where, I mean, we can maybe have a discussion on Kobe White. I think for a team to kind of lessen the turnovers, kind of have a more consistent, at least offensively, you know, offensive setting gameplay, you need to have strong point guard play. If you don't have that superstar a la LeBron, a la, you know, these guys, Kevin Durant, you know, who can kind of bring up the ball and kind of facilitate in lieu of having that kind of player, you do need, you know, a solid point guard. You know, Kobe White right now is averaging roughly about 16 points, five assists. Um, you know, I even said, like, again, in the preseason pod, like, it's a long-term process. You know, he needs at least a year or two with point guard experience under his belt to really see if he can be a point guard. I will say at this point, halfway through the season, I don't really see that maturation yet uh, in point guard play. And that's not to say that he's not a good player. I think, you know, ultimately, maybe his his asset as a player will be as a scorer, you know, in the mold of like a Jamal Crawford, in the mold of, you know, uh, former Bull Ben, uh, ben Gordon. Um, I don't yet know if he has what it takes to be a point guard, but given whether it's Kobe White or whomever, once we get that more solid, consistent point guard play, I think everything else will gel around that. 
Yeah, in terms of the turnovers, what I've also noticed is, yeah, the, in terms of Kobe White too, our handle isn't great, right? We lose a lot of we lose we commit a lot of turnovers either off the dribble, like you know, let's be real, Patrick Williams. I don't want to hammer the guy, but his first step needs a lot of work. His handle needs a little, like I do like that he can handle with both hands, but he does get it stripped a lot. He does lose the basketball. Wendell Carter going up often getting stripped, not getting the foul call, often losing the basketball that way. We just don't really protect the basketball very well. Higgs, I want to do ask you about Zach Levine, man, because I'm right with Choi, and I think I was probably a bigger doubter on Zach Levine than Mike was probably heading into the season. Just thought he was an empty calories guy. I think he's proved to all of us that not only is he not that guy, a basketball player right now, but I don't think he wants to be that basketball player moving forward. And we've seen nights where he puts up five, eight assists, really kind of leads the team and his shot making ability. I think he's gone to another level this year. Yeah. Just kind of, yeah, yeah. let's kind of, cause we were talking about the preseason. Hey, just walk us back through again. Where were you on Zach Levine coming into the season and where are you right now? I think I was higher on Zach than, than you guys were not like way up here, but I think because of last year, he took over a lot of games down the stretch. And we were saying too, before the start of the season, like he's our guy, he's maybe not the guy, but he's our guy. And I just think offensively, he's he's gotten to that point where he can rip off points almost like no problem, you know, like, and especially his three-point shooting, man, it's hats off to him, man. He's really improved that, especially. Uh, you guys were talking about the next step that he needs to take, um, you know, defensively, any superstar, you know, that you need to do both ways. And I think Billy is instilling that in him as well. Like, hey, if you really want to be this great, great player that you want to be, and I think you can get there. You got to really have you clamp down on, on defense a little bit more. Um, besides, like you know, the decision makes decision making that he's doing or, or not doing. But hey, man, dude, how cool is it? We have an all star. We have an all star. <laughs> finally, what was the last one, Jimmy? Jimmy yeah, Jimmy probably, probably Jimmy, and then honestly, probably Joe, Joe Keem, um, probably going back to probably fourteen, fifteen area, and that's that's probably it. Troy, did you want to hop in real quick? Yeah, Aaron, that was a great segue because I was literally about to ask you guys, uh, what are we about four years later or so? I want to say we won the Jimmy Butler trade, specifically in regards to the trade specifically with Minnesota. Uh, you know, I think Zach is as much as we could have hoped for when we made that trade. In addition to the fact that if Lori ever puts it together, he's that X factor that puts us, I think, on the winning side of that trade, given that what Jimmy only lasted two years in Minnesota and it was a tumultuous two years at that. So specifically in regards with the trade with Minnesota, I think we won that trade. Uh, I wonder if what you guys thoughts are on that trade. Three, three, well, I think later. just because of the Chris Dunn acquisition. <laughs> <laughs> Top flight point guard, defensive wizard. Yeah, Troy, I mean, you're, you're making a really strong case because obviously Jimmy Butler is no longer on the Minnesota Timberwolves. So that on its face alone, leads you to believe that the Chicago Bulls won that trade. I, I got, I love Jimmy Butler. I wish we could have built around him. I think obviously, as we saw in the NBA finals last year, he can be that galvanizing force. Even if he isn't a top scorer in this league, he is that two way player that Hagel was talking about that can take you to an NBA finals and you can win games in the NBA finals with Jimmy Butler. But then the rock, the rock and the hard place with all that is what did he do? He went to Minnesota he went to Philadelphia and then he went to Miami. I mean, this was a guy that was hopping around trying to find the right situation for him. It's impossible to say whether the Chicago Bulls would have ever been that right situation, whether he would have wanted to stay, whether he would have wanted to continue to work with Gar and Pax. 
you know, it's a, a bit of a we'll never know. But Choi, man, you're right, man. We have a 25 year old all star who's leading the NBA in fourth quarter usage right now. And granted, we're an under 500 team, but this is a guy who's putting it on his shoulders, trying to get it done and slowly but surely is kind of having more success than he is having failure in those particular moments. You know, Hags at the end of the day, would you say that we probably won the Jimmy Butler trade or is it still kind of left to be determined a little bit? I say TBD just because we got to see what happens with Larry. Um, you know, kind of piggy, piggybacking off of that. You know, once again, it's just like so frustrating with that dude. You know, he's, he's hurt again. It's like we can never get a full season from this guy so we can like properly like evaluate him and, and, try, to, and, and try to use him as, as, you know, utilize him as best as we can. So I'm just saying Jerry's out, man. And, and as far as like Jimmy for Zach, uh, sorry, man, I'm going to have to go with Jimmy. I just think he's too good defensively just alone. Um, and he's that guy where it's like you can kind of just give him the ball and he can kind of just work the other dude down low. He can post him up. He can hit the three. Um, so um, I like Zach, you know, but I, I would prefer to have Jimmy personally. And again, Jimmy Butler is an interesting player because I find him to be an anomaly. And maybe Zach Levine can become that guy. We don't know. But Jimmy Butler was a guy, right? We all know. This is when we first started hanging out together, guys. Jimmy was coming off the bench on those Tom Thibodeau teams playing 12 to 16 minutes a night, scoring five or six points. And we were elbowing each other a little bit, being like, hey, man, this kid, this kid Jimmy comes to play. This kid Jimmy isn't scared. Look at look at him. He's putting up some points. Year after that, oh, look, Jimmy got a jump shot. Year after that, oh, look, Jimmy wants the shot in the fourth quarter. And then now he's this, you know, top 15, top 20 player, whatever, debate for another pod. Yeah. He's gotten to that point. And I guess it is fair to say to maybe put it in a TBD. Troy, if you want to hop back in. Is Zach Levine is still his story is still be written a little bit, but Jimmy Butler's just taking his career to a place that man I don't even know if the Bulls saw four or five years ago. No, no, for sure. And ju just to clarify, Aaron, I'm right there with you. I'm a hundred percent much rather have Jimmy Butler than Zach Levine. I'm just saying in the light of the fact that basically Jimmy was forcing that trade, so he was he was gone. And so in terms of what we could get back for value for. Jimmy Butler, I think this is the best case scenario because I don't know any other realistic trade that was on the table that could have turned out, quote unquote, this well for us. But yeah, in a vacuum, yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. I'd much rather have Jimmy Butler than Zach Levine. I'm not saying that uh, Zach is a better player than Jimmy by any means. Let's hit two more things on the Bulls, and then we're going to get to some broader all-star weekend aspects of the NBA, look towards the second half. But speaking of the second half, uh, Higgs, you're going to go first on this one. Let's just talk about the Bulls moving forward. Hey, they're in the playoff picture, baby. They're in the eighth seed. Now, a lot of other teams, if you go around and read some of the articles from the other teams, all the other teams are looking at our team right now and being like, who can we pick off of the Chicago Bulls to make our team better? Thaddeus Young, or as Stacey King likes to call him, Thadjik Johnson, uh, is the, is the oh, hot man, name off so that bad. list. The Zach Levine trade rumors, you know, I'll tell you, man, I've read Cleveland Cavaliers blog posts of like, Zach Levine for Darius Garland, make it happen. It's just like, get the fuck out of here. Okay. Like this is not going to happen, but a lot of teams are looking at the bulls as possibly players that they want to poach. I know the Indiana Pacers approach the bulls about Garrett temple. Let me ask you to you like yeah. this. Are the bulls going to be buyers sellers or neither once this trade deadline comes to pass? Uh, for me, I, I hope, I don't know, but I hope they're sellers. Here's my thing. There is nobody on this team that I love so much that I'm like, we cannot trade this guy. Levine might be close to that, maybe, but 
I don't know. For instance, like Bradley Beal's available. I would rather have Bradley Beal than Levine. Like I'll take him in a second. So for me, I would put everybody on the table for another reason as well. And that is we're not going to win the championship this year. We're not. We're, we're going to be, you know, happy to make the playoffs if you can say come in the eighth seed. So my theory is if you're not going to win a championship and there's teams who are willing to acquire, you know, like you said, Thad Young or whoever, Garrett Temple, and we can get something good for the future, I say do it, man. Why? We're going to go to the championship with Thad Young and Garrett Temple. They're going to lead us to a championship? No way, dude. So if somebody's knocking and asking about those guys, great. I also read that um, – Cleveland, the Bulls were talking about potential Andre Drummond to the Bulls deal for like a Wendell, Lowry, some other kind of combo. Uh, that's a lot of money to play Andre, to pay Andre Drummond for, for one year. But I, I don't know. I don't think they should necessarily be buying. I would just say stick with the team we got and or sell. Bulls definitely need some size. We might be talking about a guy that might be able to help them in the future in our next segment. But Troy, I want to go to you. For the Bulls, uh, buying, selling, neither. Now, here's kind of how I want to frame this real quick. Now, we were talking about Thad Young. So, like, my question is, would we rather have another year and a half of Thad Young, who just so happens to be one of Zach Levine's closest friends, who a guy who literally came to the Chicago Bulls because Zach Levine was on the team, seems to be a bit of a glue guy, good in the locker room. Would we rather have him helping the maturation process for a 15 to 25 pick or, or Troy, are you with Hags where you can actually see some future value in trading uh, some of our veterans or maybe even some of our younger pieces? I want to stay pat right now um, only because, God, I would really, and you guys mentioned a little bit earlier, I would really like to see what this roster can do fully healthy. Um, it's just like, man, the last couple of years, regardless of the coach, we haven't been able to stay healthy. And maybe that's just what the NBA is today, that you can't stay healthy through an entire season. But yeah, I would really like to see what this team can do. You know, speaking of that, I, you know, since Lori went down and since Otto Porter Jr. And, and, and can I just vent a little bit on Otto, Otto, Porter, Otto Porter who <laughs> again, again, so three years with the bulls, he's only played play 45 games. His contract with the Bills so, so far is like in excess of $86 million. So for that 45 games, he's basically been getting paid $2 million a game to score like 11 points, a couple rebounds, a couple assists. Let me, let me, okay, not only is he the highest paid player in Chicago of all sports currently, he is outside of the two years Michael Jordan got paid $30 million in his last two years with the Bulls. He has the highest per year contract in Chicago sports history. Otto Porter Jr., 45-game Otto Porter Jr. So I I just, yeah, let's get, if we can get rid of Otto, we, we won't. But if we can get rid of Otto, that would be a dream scenario. But wait, wait, real quick. No, no, sorry, no, sorry, no, Choi, no one can see quick. this. Yeah, no one can see this, but Choi is levitating right now. He's not actually officially. <laughs> He's foaming at the mouth. <laughs> All I got to say is Gar Pax. Yes. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, Michael Jordan and Otto Porter Jr. in the same sentence. No one else would come to the Chicago up. Bulls, so we had to get Otto Porter. Yeah. But, you know, Thad has really surprised me. You know, the comp I have for Thad is, like, he is kind of a poor man's Draymond Green. He does a little bit of everything. He doesn't have to score, you know, 20-plus points a game to have a solid contribution. He does a little bit of everything. Um, so, yeah, especially, you know, you mentioned it. Like, he's good friends with Zach and uh, Aaron when we were at Summer League, uh, I guess two years ago now. Like, yeah, they were inseparable on the bench down there during the Bulls game. So, uh, very much I wouldn't want to ruin that team chemistry, especially with the guy who's currently our best player. So, I, yeah, I just want to stay pat. I just want to – 
you know, see what we can do with a healthy roster if we can ever get that roster healthy. And I wouldn't, you know, again, this is always, you know, next year's draft lottery is always a w- big what if as always. But by all accounts, this next draft is loaded with studs. So I actually wouldn't mind one more year uh, getting that lottery potential and then seeing what the next jump we can be. So I'm not really too concerned about making the playoffs this year. That was never my expectations. And, uh, you know, obviously if we did, we wouldn't go very far, unfortunately, realistically speaking anyhow. So yeah, I would stay pat on the trade situation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I apologize in advance. This is going to sound like a diplomatic push, but Hags, to your point, if any of these guys get tossed off this roster right now, that probably isn't named Zach Levine. I'm probably not going to lose sleep over it because at the end of the day, like what you want, what I think all Bulls fans want in two or three years, we are contending for the top two or three seeds in the East. I think that's a realistic expectation that we want to get towards. And I have questions about who's currently on our roster, whether they're going to be a part of that team moving forward. But I'm a little bit on choice side where I, if they don't do anything at the deadline, I don't think they should be buyers, Uh, but if they don't sell anybody at the deadline and they keep the team intact, I'm cool with that too. I do want to see a collection of as many games as possible with this group, with Billy Donovan having their hands on this unit. Thad Young seems to be like the guy that people want the most. Thad Young is kind of an integral guy to our mediocre success right now. And I think mediocre success is a plus for Chicago Bulls fans at this moment. So I would rec- I would like to see them maybe keep everybody move into the summer. Again, I think maybe we're all in agreement with this. Whatever the front office does, Carney and Eversley, I think we're going to kind of be on board with and sort of trust that process heading into the summer, which brings up to my final topic on the Chicago Bulls. It's never too late to start thinking about the summer. Troy, you're going to go first on this one. Let's just kind of talk a little bit about, yeah, Otto Porter's money coming off the books. Decision for Laurie Markkinen will be coming in the summer. They've got some other guys and they're going to have a draft pick and they've got some other guys maybe in the pipeline that can maybe help this team out moving forward. I'm not going to call it a pivotal Chicago summer for this Bulls team, but it can be pretty exciting where after this year, this team could look drastically different heading into the following season. Choi, just kind of talk about, I think there is a level of optimism heading into what this team could possibly do flexibility-wise, financially-wise, heading into changing uh, what this roster is going to look like moving forward. Well, you know, I think the biggest thing is we need to, uh, going into next season, and again, you know, we still obviously have a half a season to go. We really need to, at the end of the season, realize, hey, it's Kobe White somebody we're investing in as our point guard or is he ultimately our six man scorer off the bench type. Right. Um, We also need to kind of figure out, you know, the term center is kind of, I mean, outside of a handful of true centers in the league, you don't really need a center anymore. But with that being said, I think we have to figure out what our center situation is on the Chicago bulls as well. Right. Cause right now um, we have no interior defense. You know, Wendell Carter Jr., who we thought could be that, like, you know, there's flashes at times, but I just think at least every time I watch a game, he is just getting pushed around by bigger centers left and right. You know, uh, I thought, you know, maybe he could maybe add some bulk to that frame, but I don't think his frame can put on any kind of bulk. So I don't know if he's the key to the uh, interior defense. You know, we, we kind of hope that a guy like Daniel Gafford might have a future and he still can, cause he definitely shows flashes, but you know, all I have to say is um, his defensive Luke, rotations are brutal. Yeah. And let's just say, you know, he's been replaced in the rotation by Luke Cornett, 
So that tells you how much confidence right now. Robert Ory, baby. Yeah, right. Like, right. It's kind of to spread the floor out. That's why they have Cornette out on the floor, supposedly. But yeah, I mean, let's just face it. If you're getting replaced on the rotation by Luke Cornette, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of, kind of saying where you stand right now on the roster. So, uh, yeah, you know, I always get my hopes up with free agency, you know, in terms of who we can bring in. And right now, I think we're finally finally starting to turn the corner of, hey, proving to other players that we can be that organization you want to come to. Because I think for years we had been a pariah. Nobody wanted to come to Chicago because of Garpax. Um, you know, obviously, as you guys know, I had my hopes set on AD, but obviously he signed that huge contract in the beginning of the year. And Who needs AD not- when you got Simonovic? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I'm sure we're going to kind of jump into that conversation soon. But yeah, you know, uh, to your guys' point, there's nobody outside of, Zach and even Zach, as you guys mentioned, if if the right move were to be made, I wouldn't be opposed to making it. But there's nobody on this roster that isn't replaceable. Um, we're going to have the money to do that. But you know, year in and year out, I always get my hopes up for who we can get, and they never come to Chicago. So I kind of want to keep those hopes tempered. So, um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is just seeing where we are internally in our roster composition before we kind of make those next moves in free agency or trades. Higgs, excited possibly for the summer could. Do you think the Bulls will be players or do you think it's a little bit more of a wait and see, get your money in the right place? Cause finally we're going to have some cash coming off the books. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of that. Um, I actually don't know who, do you guys know who the big free agents this summer? I actually don't know. Kyle Lauer is going to be a free agent. You know, there's a couple of other guys. I mean, obviously like Greek freak got taken off the market. Um, you know, the Bradley Beal taken off the market. Yeah. The Bradley Beal trade situation is going to continue moving forward. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, we're getting all this money coming off the books, but I don't know. I just don't want them to take it and overspend on somebody. Like, that's a classic mistake, you know? Laurie is up for uh, contract extension. Is that correct? He is RFA. So he's in the situation that Zach Levine was in a couple of years ago where teams can go out like Sacramento did with Zach Levine and, you know, sign him to an offer sheet for 80-something million dollars and the Bulls have a particular amount of time to decide whether they want to sign that sheet or not. So basically the market is going to kind of be set itself for marking in, if you will. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that's the case, then, I mean, if, if Billy thinks, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a good dude or whatever, we would take that money and re-sign Lowry. I mean, there's nothing better out there, you know? And I think at the draft, I agree with Troy. We got to look at like a bigger dude, like a five or a four, just in case we don't want Lowry. We need to find, you know, somebody to maybe fill that power four position. Pat Williams, to me, it's more of a three than a four. I mean, you could probably play the four. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting, like, a bigger dude uh, down low, maybe in the draft if there's something available. Maybe a true point guard, just in case the Kobe thing doesn't work out. Um, but, yeah, I can't wait for Otto Porter Jr.'s money to come off, man. Holy shit. Jesus. Yeah, we're going to do a pod that day, and we're going to have cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and it might not be the best listening experience, but it'll damn sure will be fun. We were talking about trying to find someone to play the four or five. You know, Choi, tell us a little bit about I, – I, I stumbled upon this guy, too. He is in the Bulls organization. I had no idea this was a Carney pick. And now all of a sudden I'm watching these videos. I'm getting tantalized. I'm getting tempted. Is this Miritich 2.0 or what are we looking at here, Troy? Tell us about him. 
Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, when you sent like the, the pre-pod uh, topics of discussions, uh, I, I had thought um, I was going to scoop you guys on the idea that, hey, maybe we potentially have our future center and point guard already on the roster and we don't know it. And there you go. Just like the amazing host you are, Joey. You go, hey, let's talk about Marco Simonovic. I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, so, yeah, this guy's playing right now. Um, you know, he is a I always get confused. Do you guys know? I always just, I always just myself always just basically call any, any league overseas, the, the Euro league, but like there's <laughs> different leagues. Like the Euro league is a specific league, right? It's not just every league. So I think he plays for, uh, he plays for the ABA league, which is uh, comprised of the region that was formerly Yugoslavia. And he's like lighting it up right there. I think right now he's, uh, what, what is, what is his number? He's, he's like at, 16, he's and at 16 and nine, 16 but and over nine. his last like 10 games, he's like averaging like about 20 and. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, second round pick uh, by uh, Arturis. And, uh, you know, I mean, it is still a top league out there. And, you know, obviously we've seen in these last couple of years that we do have to take these Euro prospects really seriously because they are really contributing. Um, I know currently he's kind of getting, you know, you always make the comp of like who that, you know, similar player is that's just like the biggest upside. So I know currently he's kind of getting that Nikola Jokic comparison. I don't know if I'd I see that he kind of seems more of a perimeter guy right now, kind of in the mold of like, I think his upside is Dirk Nowitzki. Um, but also he, he also be, looks like he could be just like a Duncan Robinson though. Right. Like a, yeah, a guy right? who's so, got height length, yeah. maybe not a banger inside, but a dude that can kind of shoot the three. Which my point was, or he could also be another Laurie Markkinen, right? I mean, it's kind of, there's that comp a little bit there. But, you know, it's it's kind of that thing where, like, whether you're talking about Tony Kukoc in years past, or um, you you mentioned at Miritich, where, like, we kind of had these Euro guys that we drafted and stashed and let them play in Europe to develop a couple years, brought them over, and they were solid contributors. So, you know, it's, I think it's probably wishful thinking to think that he could be the next Nikola Jokic. But, you know, if that possibility is there, like, yeah, let's develop that. And in the same token, you know, we talk about uh, potentially point guards like Devin Dotson, Devon Dotson, uh, you know, the rookie out of Kansas, you know, potentially, you know, had a really good G League run there as well. So, you know, maybe he's a point guard that we need to play point guard for the Chicago Bulls. Higgs, let me bring it to you like this. And this can kind of, I think, pivot into the broader NBA conversation that we're about to have. And look, you know, we're watching the YouTube clips on Sim Slim, who I'm going to call for right now, Marky, Marky Slims from way downtown. Um, and, you know, and he looks like, uh, hey, it's the guy with the guy with size and he can shoot the three ball. But let me ask you this question, because he's on your fantasy team right now, Aaron Hagel. Um, his name is Joel Embiid. And we're talking about a guy like Nikolai Jokic. And these guys, I think, if anything, are probably going to be what? Top two, top three, top four in the MVP voting this year. What's just your take on it in general is size slowly coming back to the NBA just a touch. Now, granted, Jokic and Embiid, they can shoot the three. They don't do it super often. But, you know, these are big dudes. Are we seeing kind of the return of the big man just a little bit in the NBA? Yeah, I, I think I think so. Because, you know, when, once Steph got really good, it then became kind of like the small dudes league, right? stuff now you got Trey Young and uh, well they were playing Draymond at the five right yeah exactly uh but I don't know ever since I've been a little kid I've always been enamored with really big dudes you know and and (laughs) once again you kind of go back to that thing of like you can't teach height and what what the Joker's doing what Embiid's doing what the freak is doing Steph Curry can't do man I mean granted he does stuff that they can't do the dribbling and all that kind of stuff but I would love to see the freak 
Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, and the Joker play a round robin tournament. <laughs> because really, like, who do you pick out of those guys, man? They're all big, strong guys. And, you know, Jokic is probably the, maybe the weakest out of them, but he's so crafty that he can you know, juke guys and stuff. So I think it's awesome, man. I actually drafted and beat in both my leagues. This is the first year I've ever drafted him. And I kind of just had one of those, I don't know, hunches that with Doc Rivers being there, he would play a little bit harder for him. He'd maybe take care of his body a little bit better. Uh, they would maybe know how to manage him a little bit better, as, you know, so he doesn't get as injured. But, dude, his numbers are off the charts, man. He's crushing it. And the other night, I watched uh, the Philly Jazz game. Man, and it's, it's so cool to see two big centers going against each other, Rudy Gobert and Embiid. And there was one play where Embiid backed him down, pushed him off, Gobert went flying, Embiid laid it up. They come down the court. They try to throw an alley-oop to Gobert, and B blocked it. They came down the court, and B took Gobert to the hole again, got fouled for an and one. And I was like, okay, dude, this guy's on a different level right now. He's just crushing it, man. He's so fun to watch. Um, so, yeah, I love seeing the big guys do well. You know, I mean, they've been getting kind of shit on for a long time. It's all, you know, small guys league, whatever. And Embiid's bringing back the post game. It's so, and that's the thing, man. I, I – just so bummed that the league's turned to just jacking threes all day, man. It's just, it's not fun to watch, honestly. Like, I love hoops, and it's just three, three. You come down the court on a fast break and a jack of three. It's just boring, man. I love the old, you know, just like mid-range, getting into the post, have guys moving around who are cutting. You don't have to, like, sit there and bang down low all day, but it's just more exciting and more fun to watch. Well, passing up the three, the layup for the three-point shot still just drives me nuts. And I don't know if yeah. it's my age, but I digress anyways, because I, you know, that's my thing. And that's kind of what leads into Simonovich. And we don't know whether what, what's going to happen with him or not, but I'm wondering if the league is kind of having a little bit of an inflection point where now it is actually going to kind of come back around to size because everyone is so skilled. It's not like, you know, some of these dudes coming in can't shoot the three ball. Everyone can kind of do it now. So maybe it kind of leans back a little bit more into size as an advantage. And we saw the Lakers win a title last year with size. But I want to digress. we got to talk about the All-Star Weekend real quick. I can't tell if we should do 30 seconds on the slam dunk contest or 30 minutes because um, I think we're all generally upset. But let me just throw it to you like this and I'll give you the floor. Are you ready for some Cassius Stanley? <laughs> Are you ready, Choi, for the slam dunk contest this weekend? Choi's pumped about Obi. God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it is amazing how much the dunk contest has fallen in stature since we were growing up. I mean, it is amazing. Let me just throw out some names at you. These are guys who have either won or participated in the slam dunk contest in the past. Obviously, we have Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, Kobe Bryant participated in one one year Vince Carter Blake Griffin Dwight Howard back when he was considered an elite talent Scotty Pippen Sean Kemp Ray Allen I, Ray Allen participated in the dunk contest bizarre wow Clyde, Dre Clyde Drexler Trace McGrady Paul George and even Giannis Giannis participated earlier on in his career so Nelson know, Mandela Hillary Clinton we're talking big <laughs> names right? for big names back then there was a time when the best players who were also amazing dunkers wanted to participate. It, it was, it was, it was a claim to fame. Right. And now you have these guys who are just, you know, maybe a little entitled and, and I don't fault, you know, cause some of it is injury concerns. I don't, you know, that's justified to some small degree. Interject real quick. Who's ever gotten hurt doing the dunk contest. True. But that, that is kind of like, right. I get what it. They always kind of claim, which yeah. yeah, it's justified. There's a justified concern. 
But to me, it's now kind of become more of this mentality of like, you only have something to lose if you participate, if you're a big name, right? So it's this idea of that, like you're protecting your brand, you're protecting your street cred. Cause if you lose, then you don't have that aura of, you know, given LeBron, like I, I actually speaking of LeBron, I kind of blame LeBron because he was kind of that first marquee player dunk contest, you know, eligible type player to participate. He never participated. And I think at that point, people started realizing, you know, the players in the league, like, yeah, maybe this doesn't have the allure that it did if a guy like LeBron doesn't even care about participating. So, uh, you know, I think to me, you know, you guys know that I've gone on like a, a broken record, but I think the only thing that'll bring these high profile players back to the dunk contest is money. So currently the winner of the dunk contest only wins $200,000. Now for a guy like LeBron, a guy like Zion, that, that chump change, well, I, I, you know, what is that? I say, put up $10 million, put up a one-year endorsement deal with whoever's sponsoring the dunk contest. In this case, it's AT&T. Once you start getting it to that point, players are going to come back because you know what everybody has a price i don't care what anybody tells me if the money's big enough there people are going to come back it might be at that point because the narrative of why we enjoyed it growing up is completely lost to this point and i'll phrase it to you like this hags as a fan just strictly what do you prefer the stars that you love dunking or complexity of dunk the stars uh you know i i think I texted you guys a while back about this, but here's my proposal for All-Star Weekend. Real quick, Friday, right now they have the, uh, what is it, like uh, USA versus the World game or whatever. Fuck all that, man. Go back to rookies versus sophomores. I want to see which class is better. Are the rookies better or are the sophomores better? So let's just start there. Go back to that. And from there, my proposal is everything else after that, the skills, dunk, three-point contest, can only be the All-Stars. I think that's what's going to bring people back. If the dunk contest are only the people who made the all-star game, that means that's the most popular players and or the best players. So at that point, you can even take the worst, the worst guys in quotation marks out of those all-star teams. You got to pick last. I don't know, Donovan Mitchell. You could take Tatum. I don't know. He's not bad, I guess, but you know, exactly, the, the, exactly the worst Levine of the best. Wanna, he's one of slam. Yeah, Levine, exactly. So we can't push out on doing a dunk contest anymore. So to me, that would bring it in. And the thing is with those stars, I don't need them to do 360 windmills jumping over cars and all that. I just want to see my favorite players and or the best players in the dunk contest. You could do an old school reverse where you cock it back like Dominique or something. And I just think that would make, make it way, way, way more fun. I haven't cared about the dunk contest in years. Even like Shit, I don't know. When was like Harold Miner and, and all that? Isaiah, you know. Well, I was going to bring up Harold Miner is kind of the guy that started really breaking this thing down, right? Where, I mean, granted, you had guys like Spud Webb back in the day, a little bit more of a gimmick type thing, but the whole baby Jordan craze, which then opened it up, opened it up to Nate Robinson winning. Isaiah it opened Ryder. up the door to Dwight Howard winning the Superman thing, you know, and that's sort of when it really, perverted is not the right word, but it really started kind of changing I think the dunk contest that we grew up knowing and loving, Choi, hop in. Well, yeah, you guys both alluded to it. Get rid of the theatrics, man. I want to see pure dunking. I don't want to, you know, 
Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. But I don't need to see somebody put a Black Panther mask on and then dunk the ball. You know, I don't need to see somebody put a cupcake with a, you know, a, a candle in the. Oh, and blow the know, candle. Uh, the, yeah, blow the candle on it. You know, just show me pure dunking. You know, I, I still think to this day, the most impressive dunker I've ever seen in the dunk contest, much less in real life, is Vince Carter. He didn't eat any of that. And to this day, the dunks he pulled off when he won the dunk contest are are, are still top, top, top notch. So I think that's another thing. And, and just wait, comes- quick, quick question, because you're bringing up a fantastic point. Did Vince Carter break the dunk contest? Because I, in my opinion, good? kind of. I mean, it wasn't yeah. just like one dunk that changed it. He had like five or six dunks yeah. that not only are repeated, but are iconic, unbelievable. And ever since then, is it, has it been as, it's never been as good since then. And maybe people trying to make it, you know, maybe that's why Blake Griffin's trying to, trying to jump over a fucking car is because Vince Carter was, was just so amazing in that one year. I, I don't know. Is it fair to ask? Higgs, hop in real quick and then Troy. What, what, when was the D Brown year? Cause that's what started all that shit. The pump up Reeboks. That was the first time I remember having like a gimmick in, in the, in the dunk contest, right? Cause he pumped up his shoes. Uh Oh, pumping up the shoes. Yeah, it was like, Cedric that was Sabalos. like 93, 93, 94. And then Cedric Sabalos came out or maybe it was D Brown again. He did the no look. And then Cedric Sabalos came out with the blindfold. And that's when I was like, Oh man, what's going on here, dude? Like this is starting to get like, not fun. Like, like you said, Vince Carter is just naturally and T-Mac. That was the battle, right? That was that awesome dunk contest. Those guys are just naturally great dunkers. Dude, I'm an NBA fan. I've seen a lot of NBA games live. It's awesome when you see a guy just dunk the ball normally. So to, to be able to be creative and to, you can do a windmill or whatever the case may be, like Levine's doing and Aaron Gordon, you know, behind the back. I was like, wow, that's that's cool shit. We don't need the theatrics. We don't need no-name chumps in there, man. Just have it be the all-stars, and that will bring people back. You can still be creative and not involve theatrics. I just don't want to see props. Um, you know, I think, Joey, yeah, you even sent us the video, like, you know, a week ago where, like, the you see all the time, I mean, it's no-name guys, but it's, like, the guys who only dunk, like, out on the playground. But there's you see the creativity level all the time in dunks that don't involve any props. Maybe maybe it comes down to you make it a scarcity event like the Olympics. Maybe you host it only like once every four years. And that way, when that fourth year comes, you know, maybe not necessarily every four years, maybe every other year or something, something like that. But maybe when you make it a little bit more um, exclusive, maybe exclusive, not the right word, limited of an event, then it'll kind of attract the people again. But yeah, it, it, it is broken. And But to your overall point, Joy, I think there is a level of like, well, we've kind of seen, whether it's true or not, this idea like we've kind of seen every dunk there is without props involved. So that's why they kind of feel like they have to involve the props. But um, yeah. But that, that goes that, into the whole like, well, why, that goes into the whole thing is I don't think complexity is what makes us love the dunk contest. I think like ferocity, um, like there is an artistic nature to dunking where it's not like off the backboard. It's not like the McDonald's commercial you know, with Larry Bird, where it's like off the thing, off the thing, nothing but net. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, Dominique Wilkins, when they still show those clips, he's not really doing anything that complex, but it's just so beautiful and athletic and ferocious. And that's what we love about it. I think there are NBA stars that can do that without having to worry about like twisting and doing a 720. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and that's- my, my only twist in format is, 
you know, the favorite dunks I like like to see in, in real games are when somebody gets dunked over. So I always thought like a cool format would be you kind of have your dunk competitors and you kind of have your guys who are the quote unquote best defensive interior guys. And you're, they're basically playing one-on-one, but the offensive player can only try to dunk. And then he gets scored upon, you know, how, how much, you know, he gets his, his dunk score gets scored upon, you know, how well he dunked over that defensive player. But I don't, I don't you know, from a realistic standpoint, that'll never happen. But the, the other one you know. too, and it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous game, but it could be really fun is we got to do something about the judges. Like no offense, but I don't need Dr. J judging dunks anymore. I would love to go to a format where you can, as the fan vote for your favorite dunker, and by the, whatever the span, like obviously the results wouldn't come in right away. You would have three guys go in one round and then they would reveal all the results at once in one round. Of course you are playing with that game, a little bit of, you know, cooking the stats a little bit, but again, if LeBron's in a dunk contest, LeBron's going to win. Cause the fans are going to vote for him. You know, I, I don't see anything that's really wrong with that, but it doesn't seem like something that they're willing to do either. Let's take a quick break and have a brief moment to talk about our new sponsor, eBay, whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for at eBay as the original sneaker marketplace. eBay is the place to cop the best pair you've been eyeing with eBay's authenticity guarantee. Your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators, a team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, the logo, the stitching and does of other inspection points each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of what did i say authenticity and it also protects sellers with a verified return process and for the sneaker sellers out there ebay has eliminated selling fees and sneakers over 100 making it free to sell or flip your collection so go to ebay.com sneakers today ebay the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection now back to the pod Let's pivot over real quick to the all-star game itself. Team Durant made his selection for his squad. He's not going to play in the game. LeBron made his selection for his squad. Let's just read off the starting five real quick. We're going to do starting five versus starting five, then bench versus bench, and then move on to our final topic of the day. Team Durant's starting five. Kyrie Irving, Joel Embiid, Kawhi Leonard, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum. Team LeBron's starting five. LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikolai Jokic, Higgs, you're going to go first on this one. Who do you give the edge to in starting fives? Uh, LeBron. It's a great starting five, right? That is an epic starting five. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Like, just, just him and the freak on the same team to me is crazy. And then you put Steph in there, another, what, two-time MVP. Luka is going to be an MVP. Jokic might be MVP this year. And then you got – so you got Steph at the – you, you can put him at the two, Luka at the one. LeBron at the three, Freak at the four, Jokic at the five. How do you beat that? That's great. Four That's incredible, crazy. four incredible passers, and one of the most unstoppable dunkers, <laughs> and one of the greatest and the greatest three point shooter of all time in one starting five. That's I can't. I just I just can't wait to watch just the first five minutes of that in itself. It's pretty incredible. Choi, who do you give the edge to, Team LeBron or Team Durant? Well, it's funny because right, we were texting about this earlier today, and at you know at first I was like I just slightly give it to LeBron, but then I realized well one Kevin Durant's not playing, so the team Durant is already hurt by the fact that they have you know <laughs> yeah. no Kevin Durant to play, and then obviously in a sign of uh, team unity, he drafted Kyrie first, so that 
kind of the residual effect of who you can draft because you've drafted Kyrie first when more, more logically, yeah, you could have, should have gone Steph, Luca, Nikola before you did Kyrie. So just progressively that made his team worse. Although it, he did, I mean, it's funny that we're talking about drafting because it kind of feels like fantasy sports, right? He did get uh, Harden at six, which I think is a steal at six, right? <laughs> um, but uh, but um, yeah, I mean, overall team LeBron, and you just break down the numbers, like when it comes down to like, points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals. Like, I mean, Team LeBron just, like, dominates in every major stat category. So, um, but, you know, again, these are all all-stars, man. So it's going to be a fun game. But, like, on paper, 100% it's Team LeBron. Yeah, I just can't wait to watch that <laughs> That starting five for the first five minutes. Let's just go over the benches real quick, and we'll do a bench first bench. Team Durant bench. The reserves are James Harden, Devin Booker, Zion Williamson, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Nikolai Vucevic, Donovan Mitchell, LeBron's reserves, Damian Lillard, Ben Simmons, Chris Paul, Jalen Brown, Paul George, DeMontis Sabonis, Rudy Gobert. Choi, you're going to go first on this one. Bench versus bench. Who do you got? This one's pretty tough. Again, I, I, I personally have to go Team LeBron because just in terms of all-star games, you guys, you want guys that right, are versatile, handle the ball and so forth. You know, Team Durant. Uh, you know, in, in, in a real NBA setting, you know, a guy like Vukovic is great. A guy like Randall's great. But in an all-star game format, I don't know how much they can really play in that format uh, because, you know, they're just, they're not versatile players who can handle the ball. So once again, I think overall it's team LeBron. I'm going to give actually the slight edge to team Durant just because James Harden's on that bench. I know Damian Lillard's on LeBron's, but then you got like uh, James Harden you got Devin Booker on there. Julius Randle, I think is having a lot better season than his star power actually equates to. But yeah, it's super tough. Hakes, who do you got? Slide edge to LeBron's bench. Like you said, Dame Time, stud. Ben Simmons, stud. CP3, future Hall of Famer, stud. Uh, Gobert, two-time defensive player of the year. But I do want to bring up one person on Durant's team. Nikola Vucevic from the Magic. I mean, is this guy the most underrated player in the NBA? I mean, yes. he's the Dude, he's on the Magic, and it's like, you know, it's Orlando, so it's not, you know, I mean, it is a big city, but not maybe as big of a market as the other city, so that's part of it. The Magic, uh, you know, have an injury bug again this year, so they aren't playing at full, full throttle. So I don't think that guy gets enough attention. I looked him up today. He's the third overall player in fantasy this year. He's absolutely crushing it, and I'm happy to see him on the All-Star team. You know, I think he's, yeah, he's the most underrated dude. Nikolai Vucevic, do you think he stays on the Magic the rest of the way? Or do you think they're going to eventually trade him? And if so, do you think where do you think he could possibly go? Um, I don't, I don't know his contract situation, how much he's owed, and all that. I mean, if I was Orlando, I would keep him. However, they did draft Mo Bamba, I guess, and he's kind of waiting in the wings. Although he's not getting a whole lot of PT time behind him and Ken Birch. But yeah, I mean, dude, he's a stud, and I guarantee you. Uh, majority of the teams in the NBA would want that guy, man. I mean, he's just, he does, he's kind of uh, Joker-ish without the passing, I would say. Big dude, double-double. He can, you know, doesn't really hurt you anywhere, man. He's good. No, yeah, he can hit the spot of three. I'm looking it up right now. He's 11th in the NBA and PER this year. I mean, he played the Bulls, what, I think we played him in a back-to-back about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, and in that first game, he absolutely torched us. I mean, I know teams with size can give the Bulls a ton of problems. You know, we saw Embiid get 50 points against the Bulls earlier this year. But yeah, Vucevic, I think, is just one of those guys that not a lot of people know about. But people that watch the NBA really closely. I mean, this guy, if he gets moved, whoever he gets moved to, I think can have 
you know, seismic change or create a lot of momentum for a team, whoever it is that picks him up heading into that second half. We're going to get out of here on this, guys. We got one more topic. We're going to come up on a segment and we're just going to bring a segment that's been in our text thread. I feel like it's been in our text thread now for about two or three years. It's our favorite thing to argue about on the planet Earth. And uh, we're going to have a nice time with it right now. And it's it's a little apropos because the gentleman's making his all-star, making his first all-star appearance this weekend. But for a player who came into the NBA with a ton, a ton of buzz right now, it is funny that I think that not a lot of NBA fans or there isn't as much coverage in terms of him on a game-to-game status right now as there probably was when he came into the NBA. And we're going to talk it out. We're going to see where we all land on this right now. Mr. Mike Choi, you are going to go first, my friend. I want you to I want you to present uh, I want you to present your theory on this particular player, and then we're going to kind of debate it out. And there is no clear winner on this because the guy's got a long career, but this is where we stand. These are our lines in the sand on this one, and eventually, hopefully, we're going to find out who's right or wrong sometime in the future. Well, the player we are talking about is a Mr. Zion Williamson. Uh, as you guys know, I am not the biggest Zion fan. Uh, now, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, let me start by saying that I've always maintained in every sport, it takes three years for even the superstars to kind of reach that level. But by and large, outside of exceptions to the rules, like we, you know, we kind of talked about Jimmy Butler earlier, by that third year, if you were going to be a superstar in any league, you are that superstar by your third year. So rightfully so, I'll give him, I'll give him another year. I'll give him another year. But here is my argument, or not even argument, but here's my observations. Um, this guy was deemed to be a general generational player. Not just hey, he's the best player in this draft. He's not just you know he's you know he's he's the best guy to come out in a year or two. We're talking generational. So once in every twenty years ish or such, right? The next LeBron, right? The next Jordan. Um, even though like you know comp wise, he's not in that mold, but you know in that stature of expectations. Can you be a generational player when you can make the strong argument, one, that you might not even be the best player in your draft class currently? You know, you can make a strong argument that Ja is every bit as good as Zion and has every bit as big of an impact as Zion currently, currently. Also, now this, I know you guys will probably push back on this a little bit. You Can you also be a generational player if once again, you can make a strong argument that you're not even necessarily the best player on your own team. I can make a pretty strong argument. I can, hear me out. I can make a pretty strong argument that Brandon Ingram is just as solid as Zion Williamson, just by numbers alone, right? I mean, they're, I, they're literally, their numbers are pretty identical in terms of both scoring. Zion has a slight lead and rebound. I think right now he's about seven a game. Uh, Ingram is uh, five-ish, uh, but Ingram has more assists than Zion, and they both have a, you know, so a steal a game and a block a game or so. But I guess that, that that's just my point. If, if you can't even necessarily be the undisputed player in your own draft class, much less the undisputed best player on your own team, that's hard for me to think that you are this generational player that everyone touted you to be. But with that being said, I still think he's solid. I still think he's, you know, I don't think he's a bust. I'm not saying he's a bust by any means, but just this expectation that he's the second coming. Um, I, I think that's to be questioned. I think that's to be questioned. So I think the 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 issue on top here is, I mean, well, you know, Akeem and Michael Jordan were in the same draft, so you can't have two generational talents in, in the same draft. It's really, really hard to do. But I think the question that you're asking is the way that he came into the NBA right now, 
I think you are you're, you're questioning whether he will reach superstar generational status that we, he saw at Duke, right? Like I think that's what you're saying is you're questioning you're questioning face the height. Yeah, questioning face the height. Yeah, for sure. Can he be the face of the league? Yeah. Higgs, uh, weigh in. Where where are you on Zion Williamson uh, right now in terms of the uh, the point in his career? Uh, I mean, dude, he got, I don't know. He got named to an All Star game. And he's in the Western Conference. I mean, that's saying something. I love Zion, dude. I mean, I don't know. The very first time I saw him, like, you know, uh, tape on him before he went to Duke, I was like, wow. And after watching him in the NBA, especially this year, dude, he's so tough, man. Like, nobody can stop that guy down low. He's going against the biggest dude. He just bowls him over. And on top of that, it's not just that he's strong. He's so quick off his feet. He's might be the, he might be one of the quickest guys I've seen that big where if a shot or if he shoots it and he misses it, he's already jumping up again before the other person can even grab the rebound. He's just really good at getting to the hole, getting fouled, going to the free throw line. And I've been reading that as the season has progressed, and especially I think the last like month or so, uh, Stan Van Gundy's got him taking the ball up the court. And they're showing that he's now running the pick and rolls. And as you guys know, ball handling NBA, it takes a while even for a point guard Zion grew up being a point guard. I didn't know that. So he's kind of going back to his roots, and he's going to be way more dangerous once he learns how to do all that. His three-point shot is, you know, it's pretty flat. He doesn't have the best shot necessarily. But for what he's doing, I think, yeah, okay, maybe not generational talent like LeBron. And I don't think that's going to happen until his defense really takes off. And I think that's probably the one thing uh, most people and myself are probably most disappointed and with Zion is the fact that, I mean, dude, look at all those blocks he had at Duke. They were just like, they reminded me like it's like Kenny Martin, like blocking that shit 20 rows deep. And he just hasn't had that yet in the NBA. I'm not totally sure why. Maybe because Steven Adams is there and he's leaning on him a little bit more. Maybe he's just trying to get his offense going a little bit more. But once he turns the corner on that, and I think he can, you know, he's going to be even better. But, I, you know, and you're going back to, like, Ja and him. He may not even be the best player Ja might be. Ja, I like more than Zion. I love Ja. However, I looked at fantasy stats. Ja, overall in the year. Not he's great. Only, he, dude, he's, he's, he's like a 175 or something on the year. I was like, wow. Because he has a lot of turnovers. Um, he scores a lot, but his field percentage is okay. You know, going back to Zion, I guess, it's just, uh, I don't know, dude. He made the all-star team in his second year. I think that's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good. And maybe this is where I'm a little bit of, I'm, I'm in the middle ground because let's lay it all out there. Right. You guys know me. I've loved Zion since before he was even playing at Duke. I watched every single game. I was always texting you guys highlights. I truly thought he was going to be as Troy said, generational transcendent. The guy could perhaps become the face of the league guy. Now, I'm going to give this guy that I love so much a hard time for a second. Cause one, let's be fair. Got to criticize him. He's not in the dunk contest. What, what, what are we doing here? I mean, with his people and his brand and just the concept of him and expanding his exposure to the league, that makes no sense to me. Um, I think it's, I think it's a bad move on his part. Now does he have time to eventually participate in that event moving forward? Of course. But I mean, what are we waiting for? Uh, you should hop in that thing right now. The second one is, and Troy, you're going to like this one a whole lot, is one, I think he looks miserable in New Orleans. The guy that I remember in Duke 
with a dude that you would rally around. He's smiling, had that carefree attitude, that swagger, as you mentioned, blocking shots, 20 rows into the seats. I don't really see that at all. I see a seriousness. I see him trying to maybe be a professional, maybe try and push that greatness. So maybe a little bit too hard than it needs to be. And here's the real deal. I don't think he will become that transcendent generational player until he gets thinner. I just don't think the weight that he's carrying right now, I'm not saying he's overweight. I'm not saying that he's fat, but I'm saying the weight that he's playing at right now will probably never take him to those heights in that place that I think that he was going to go to unless he goes through a little bit of a transformation. Now look what Joel Joel Embiid did this year. I wasn't a big Joel Embiid fan, but he has completely transformed his physicality. And when he's on the court now, now he is an MVP candidate. Do I think Zion can do that? For sure. Now I'm saying all this shit about Zion, right? And then I look him up and yeah, his PER, his player efficiency rating, he's a top 20 player in the NBA. He's shooting 61% from the field. He's playing six more minutes than he did in the bubble, 27 to 33 this year. He's scoring more points, more rebounds, more assists, more steals, more blocks. And I think he's playing in an offense that doesn't really give him a lot of credit. Troy, I want you to hop in on this because you talked about Brandon Ingram real quick. My question isn't so much is Brandon Ingram better or worse than Zion. My question is, I don't know if they can play well together. I think that might be the issue. And I'm kind of questioning that right now. Yeah, to your point of like, I don't know if anybody can be happy in a situation when they're like, you know, on a losing team, right? You're never going to be truly happy. But I will say those transcendent players lead those teams to the playoffs, right? Michael Jordan did it. LeBron did it. You know, these guys who took perennially, perennially horrible teams and in their first year, second year, brought them to the playoffs. Where is that, you know, uh, uh, metric for Zion? It's not there yet. I mean, you know, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year unless they make a late push uh, in the second half. Um, You know, and and in terms of like, you know, all-stars, you always got to take with a grain of salt, especially with the starters, right? Because that's a fan vote. So it's a popularity contest by, you know, I've I've never doubted that he isn't popular in, in, you know, kind of the social media space in terms of like, you know, relevancy to the NBA fan base currently. Um, And then, you know, obviously the points you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because in this wide open spread off of kind of era of the NBA, everyone, I mean, everyone's scoring 20 plus points a game. I think at last count is 61% from the field though. 61 yeah, that's what I was say. He, yeah he's been very efficient very very efficient yeah like and again let me let me just reiterate by no means am i calling him a bust i i think he is a good player but the distinction is is he the next michael jordan is he the next lebron james is he the next you know is he the next luca i don't know if he's even going to be the next luca you know so that this is where like let's just do this real quick real quick just to not to monopolize your guys times but let's do a little thought experiment i've got a handful of guys who are 25 years or younger and you tell me if you rather have them or zion currently as it stands uh uh, so we'll start oldest youngest so at 25 nikola Jokic. would you rather have nikola or zion Jokic. Jokic. I would have Jokic. Carl Anthony Towns. Zion. Zion. Okay. We Ben Simmons, 24 years old. Zion. I'm, I'm taking Zion. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell, 24 years old. Ah, shoot. I'm, t- I'm taking I'm taking Zion. I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick with Zion on that because he's younger, potential, and yeah. Okay. Kind of somebody in the same old. Bam. 23 years old. Out of bio, Miami. Zion. Take it, Zion. There's, I did a lot of numbers. He's actually Zion's actually having a better season than Bam right now, even though Bam's a great player. Now we're going to get to the, the, the stud guys who are 23 and younger. So now you tell me, 
Trey Young. Zion. Zion. I, yeah, I don't like Trey. Jason Tatum, 22 years old. That one's that one's tough. I'm gonna go Tatum, even though I crunched a bunch of numbers in Zion. Uh, on statistics, is having a better season than Jason Tatum this year, but I'll take Jason Tatum. John Morant, yeah. 21 years old. See, like I'm taking I'm taking Zion on that one because here's why. I know everyone says, "Hey, John Morant led Memphis to the playoffs." Higgs, you can attest to this. Memphis has players on their team that are a lot better than people give them credit for. John Morant missed a bunch of time this year, and Memphis still hung on and won some games. Love John Morant. Don't get me wrong. I'm going Zion on that one. Higgs, what do you think? Yeah, that's a, like I said, it's a tough one because I love John. He's, he, I probably like him even more than Zion. But like I said, when I looked up his stats the other day, I was pretty shocked to see how bad Jaws uh, stats are. But they're both awesome, yeah. and they're totally yeah. different, man. And, I mean, you know, Jaws a little, well, yeah, sure. little spotty point exactly, guard, yeah. and Zion's like a bigger dude. But they're both so fun to watch in different ways. And the, and the last one, which is the big one, Luca, 21 years old. Yeah, I mean, Luca. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all all I'm saying is that even in this this list about what what would I have named about like 10-ish or so people, the fact that there was a struggle, right, to kind of say whether you would take Zion or those guys, you know, I mean, right, like, and again, this is a thought experiment, but I mean, in in Jordan's first three years, four years, and in LeBron's first three or so years, I think definitively we would have said LeBron against any other contemporaries. We would have said Jordan against any of his contemporaries. So that that's all I'm saying. And again, I know this is, this is, you know, a grain of salt uh, with this list that I just threw out there with you, but you know, when you're the, when you're a generational talent, there should be a little bit more Zion, 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 Zion with every player that I named. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's really kind of TBD. Here's why. He was out his rookie year last year, right? He was hurt the whole first half, and then he finally came back in, oh, it was like January, February. And then we had the pandemic, and NBA got shut down. He didn't do anything. He didn't play any hoops again until the bubble, which was, what, August? So it's kind of a really weird, goofy first year, and he had Alvin Gentry as a coach. This year, pandemic again, which is a goofy, another weird, goofy year. He's got a new coach. They're not playing in front of fans. There's a lot of weird shit going on with his first two years in the league. So I think we got to give him a little bit of a pass just for that in itself. Um, and I think despite all of that, his numbers are he's he's doing really well, man. Yeah, the part that I I I think about to your point too was a guy has guy has knee surgery. He comes back and they are the organization itself is like, hey, you're not going to practice. You're not going to play. And when you do play, you're going to play four minutes at a time and yada, yada. And and I'm wondering, and this gets a little bit closer to the weight issue. I'm wondering if he's not necessarily being pushed the way that maybe he needs to be pushed where everyone's saying, hey, man, don't don't mess this up. Be, let's take it easy. Let's take it easy. When I really think people need to be like, no, man, you have to be great you have to be in better shape than everyone else because you are athletically better than everyone else. If you put those two together, watch out where I think he's maybe, I don't want to say that he's resting on his laurels and being lazy. That's not fair, but I think circumstances have maybe made him hang back just a touch instead of maybe really getting into like the best shape of his life and seeing what could possibly come out of it. Oh, no, that I mean, you guys are totally right. And again, I'm reiterating, I do not think he's a bad player by enemies. And like I said, I will give him one more year at least, because again, I'm going to give him the three full years. The bottom line is, 
in the next two, three, four years, can, will you be able to say he's a top five player in the league? I don't, I don't, I don't see that currently. Yeah, I don't know either. And Hags, you're going to hop in in one second, but um, to bring up just a different example, and this is something that uh, that I went through on our text thread a couple of years ago, was when Giannis was about to win his first MVP that first season. We had a text conversation. And we had this little game where we called it Michelin stars, right? Where we were handing out Michelin stars to NBA players. And we were trying to decide, this is the scenario where if you get a Michelin star, that means if you're not a fan of the team and that team isn't playing the team that you love, you're taking that Tuesday night out to turn on the TV and watch said player. That's how watchable and that's how great you want to see them. And at that time, what is this, three years ago, my position was, for me personally, Giannis, the Greek freak, was not a Michelin star player for me. I was not going out of my way to turn on the TV to watch him the same way that I was for Steph, LeBron, Damian Lillard. What did Giannis do over the past couple of years? He's won back-to-back MVPs. I'm not saying Zion is going to do that, but what he's done is, through the maturation of his career, he's just proved me wrong. You know what I'm saying? He's just completely proved me wrong. It is now to the point where if Giannis is on and he's on the court, I'm going to watch a couple minutes because his athletic visuals aside, his game has now come up and sort of matched that, that athletic freakness. And I think what's just fair to say is maybe, Troy, you're not quite there yet. And I'll be honest, I'm maybe I'm probably not Michelin star on Zion either. I mean, I don't follow every single Pelicans game the way I did a Duke game. Duke games, Duke Zion was Michelin star for me all day long. I oh, could not miss sure. it. For I am sure. DVRing this game. I'm watching every single second of it. His game where it is right now in the NBA probably isn't at that level. Can it maybe get there? Yes, but I think right now it's not there. I think maybe we're on closer to the side of we think it could get there than, than, than maybe you're thinking. Hags, hop in. Yeah, it's a really interesting point because when I was watching the Pelicans-Bulls game the other night, it kind of hit me like, oh, yeah, Zion, Zion's on the team. Why haven't we really seen him too much? You know, it's, it's like he was such a phenomenon at Duke. And then um, at Summer League, you know, like the, the one, you know, the five minutes he played that I got to see him at, that was like legendary. And then the first game when he finally played and we were, you know, we were at choice place and hit what those three pointers. And it was just like, wow, yes. <laughs> it was so cool. And then I think maybe because of the pandemic, it just like let the air out of the league a little bit. And then the bubble, it was kind of like, I think he just lost all that momentum, man. Um, and, and yeah, it was, yeah, it was just really weird watching the game the other day going, Oh yeah, this guy's supposed to be like a superstar. And I kind of forgot, like he hasn't really been talked about too much. Yeah, and watching that game, he wasn't, you know, I don't know. I didn't see that personality. I didn't see that flair. I didn't see that smile or that wink in his game where it looks like he's, like, really enjoying the game of basketball. Like, like Choi, I guess the question for you is, do you think do you think he's in the right situation in New Orleans, or do you think it might take a change of address to maybe either reach the heights nationally or maybe take his game to a different place? Like, what's it going to take? You know, it's funny that you asked me that question because that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with this mentality of, these players are so entitled and they leave and they leave for better situations. Michael Jordan stayed on the Bulls. He was determined to make the Bulls a championship team. He didn't go after Detroit beat up on him year after year. I, hey, I'm going to go play for Detroit because that's how I'm going to win. You know, this whole, I mean, once again, you can kind of blame LeBron, although, you know, you kind of maybe go back a little bit to like Kevin Garnett and, you know, uh, five years prior. But this idea of like, well, if I can't do it with my team, I'm going to find a situation that's best for me. You know, if you are the player I think you want that responsibility I, I would like relish that if I were like the kind of the guy who could be like I could turn this crappy organization around and forever be a god in that town I would relish that but in this generation 
of, of basketball entitlement. Players don't see it that way. They want to go to the situation that gives them the championship. I'm with you all the way up until the Russell Wilson conversation. Hags, hop in. <laughs> in that case, I think, I think he needs to change. He needs to change, I think. I, for me, I, I see both sides of it because I do miss the old days of, you know, birds on the Celtics, Magics and the Lakers, uh, you know, teams on, on Houston. And I miss those, those battles because you kind of knew what you were getting into. And I agree that you should stick with your organization if it's a good organization. And that's, that's kind of the problem, I think, with some of these guys, especially going back to Garnett. I mean, when Garnett was playing, he was my favorite player, man. He was so good. And I just remember always feeling bad for him that he was stuck in this shitty T-Wolves team with like a bad GM, a bad owner. And I think if you're in that situation, in that particular situation, I'm okay with you going, hey, man, I got to get out of here. This is that's I'm a like great my comparison. time and all this stuff. Yeah. But the, the, the one situation I don't like and you know, specifically was Durant, you know, leaving the Thunder to go to the Warriors because they had a good squad. They had a good coach. They had a good organization, and he literally said, "Well, I can't beat them, so I'm going to join them." And then he, you know, he won his championship. So in that situation, uh, you know, I can't really speak on LeBron's leaving initially um, to go to Miami, but um, those situations I don't like. Uh, but the Garnett situation, I do understand. Yeah, I think each situation isn't apples to apples, right? Where Troy, I think I'm closer to an agreement with you than than maybe than maybe you would think because I, I watched the Dream Team documentary last night amazing by the way uh but again there was a part in it where the first scrimmage happens in la jolla in san diego and they have this kind of back and forth carl malone weighs in charles barkley ewing all this other stuff but they weigh in where they had a hard time starting the first game because they couldn't figure out teams because all the guys didn't want to be on each other's team like jordan didn't want to play with magic he wanted to play against magic right charles barkley didn't want to be on malone's team he wanted to play against malone Right. And that was the mentality back then. And that's the mentality. I think we grew up with the NBA and sports were these guys didn't want to play with each other. They wanted to kill each other. You know, they wanted to prove who was the best once and for all. And the only way to do it was to chop off the head of your opponent, not come together into some sort of conglomerate and win together. Right. And that's the change that sort of happened. Higgs, you're bringing up an awesome point, man. Kevin Garnett's career would be so much sadder and more depressing if he didn't move on to Boston and win that title in a place where, you know, it was later in his career, but it was in a system and with a team and in a market that allowed him to be able to win that championship. I can't, I can't be mad at Kevin Garnett and he got traded too. It wasn't like he, he didn't really force his way out. You know what I mean? But that it's, it's a tough one. Choi, you know, do you, I mean, are you, are you on board with what Kevin Garnett did at least? You know, the thing is, I think overall, Aaron made a great point in that it, it depends on the specific situation. So if the organization is dysfunctional, I don't I don't know what New Orleans situation is in terms of their organizational structure, if they're considered I mean, solid or not. Stan Van Gundy's their coach. I mean, that's red flag one for me. But in terms of just, uh, you know, so yes, if, if, if the organizational structure, I mean, we see in Chicago with Gar Pax, right? So it's like if the organizational structure is a crappy situation, then 
I can kind of see a player leaving. But if it's just the idea that like I'm on a crappy team, I want to leave. You know, the Bulls were again. I know we're biased, but the Bulls were nothing. The reason the Chicago Bulls are the Chicago Bulls was because of Michael Jordan. The Lakers were in the longest funk before Magic got there. That's why it was a first round pick. He made the Lakers showtime again and became the Lakers as we know them today. Dirk turned Dallas, a perennial shitty team, into a team that like you know, in conjunction with Cuban coming into ownership there, made it a team that people wanted to go to. So I think. Given that it's just the idea that you're a shitty losing team, no, I don't I don't condone players leaving. But to Aaron's point, if it's a crappy situation because you have messed up ownership, messed up coaching, messed up GMs that are like almost sabotaging your career, then then I then I'm a little bit more all right with that. But that, that's why like I I I don't want to speak either way because I'm not sure what the organizational structure of New Orleans is right now. But if it's simply Zion's unhappy because they're on a bad team. And buck up, man. I mean, you be the guy that brings them to that next level. I think we're wrapping up this pod full circle where I think we're saying we're happy Jimmy Butler left the Bulls because they were a shitty organization. <laughs> and I think we did the best that we possibly could out of that situation because yeah. the guy went on to an NBA Finals in a better situation. And I think that's the way we're going to end up this All-Star Weekend pod here with my hoops honchos right here on Believe in Betting Chicago. Mr. Mike Choi, thank you for being on. Thank you, Joey. Higgs, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks, brother. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. This episode today was brought to you by betonline.ag. Make sure you head to betonline on your mobile device to get 50% off your first security deposit on the website. Make sure you enjoy all the hoops action this weekend. You guys, we're coming back on Monday with a can't-miss Chicago Bears pod that you're going to want to listen to, plus of other great material coming up. Thank you for listening to this one. Until then, be well, be safe, be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.